From the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. Today's topic is networking, a behind-the-scenes look at how the internet really works and a peek at how the World Wide Web really goes global. Joining us from Do It Networking, Bill Jensen, Paul Nazario, and Dan Parento, along with our regular geeks, Ty Christian, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. Do it live. It's Thursday, and it's time to talk tech. Wah! With us here at Do It Live. Bam! And thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is the most connected radio show on the planet. Do It Live. There are so many different ways for you to get in contact with us here. Uh, first and foremost, you have to visit our website, our wonderful website, do it that was said you forward slash radio. Uh, on there, on the right side, you'll see the 16 different ways that you have to contact us. Uh, and we are we would we would love it if you would call the studio and chat with us today. The phone number is 608-515-8768, or if you're at a UW campus phone, it's 5WSUM. And uh, we are going to have a good show today. We are talking about the internet. Isn't that right, Adam? You betcha, sir. How are you doing, Ty? I'm doing very good. And it's uh, finally getting warm out. It's it's. Well, cloudy kind of. today, but it's it's getting gorgeous out there. Sandy Cyberlick is in here with us too. Hi, Sandy. How you doing? I'm fine, and you? Excellent. Thank you very much. And we also have some handsome gentlemen here from Do It. Uh, oh, Dan yeah. and Paul and Bill are all joining us here. Thanks, <laughs> a bunch for coming of handsome in. gentlemen <laughs> coming in here. I'm a bit overwhelmed there, Adam. I feel I may need to lie down for a bit. Do you have the vapors, Tom? I have the vapors. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Well, as always, we like to start off our show in a rocking good way with our news. It's Sunday Cyberlick with the news. Did you all know that today is the 10th anniversary of the first Apple store? And I am officially old. <laughs> oh, please. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> Actually, um, they grew faster than any other retailer in history for the first three years. Wow. wow. That's, that's pretty impressive, actually. That's, yeah. Even, be- even bigger than Bed Bath & Beyond? Because they have that Beyond section, which is just ridiculous. I've never been in the Beyond section. Yeah, you gotta, got, you got to try it sometime. they got all sorts of stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> like another dimension. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been really wildly successful, right, guys, as a, a retail venture? We haven't really seen a, a technology company sort of take a bull by the horns and, and go with their own retail store. No, nobody's like. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah. even even last quarter, their sales shot up uh, a billion and a half, about ninety percent. So oh. they had uh, three point two billion in their fiscal second quarter compared with the same period uh, last year, three point two billion. Well, you know, in many ways, they really changed how people view technology stores because I, I mean, maybe and maybe maybe this is just me not remembering things correctly, but they were one of the first ones to really offer a just an open area where you can just go in and mess around with their products, you know? Yeah, it's kind of been an evolution, but they certainly have the model that all the stores are built on. I was out at the Mall of America, and directly across from the Apple store, there is a Microsoft store 
which yeah. is twice as big <laughs> as the Apple store. But it, apart from having a giant video wall and having darker wood tables, it's much the same concept yeah. uh, to try and let people come in and use the stuff and just can be convinced by that. And employees that glare at each other all day. Well, also, the <laughs> you know, the whole design of the store has been something that's been emulated by every other store that's come since then, including um, our own do it tech store, yeah. which is looks quite a bit like an Apple store. Yep. We ripped them off directly. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah. That's how we roll. Our furniture just isn't quite as high end. Oh. Yeah, well, oh, come on. It's, it's nice. We have armor plating. For, <laughs> yeah, all, of you, for all of you uh, out there listening who've never been to the Do It Tech Store, seriously, you've got to come by our main location, 1210 West Staten Street, and check it out. Uh, I kid you not, there's armor plating all over the place. You know, we could, if, if there's a zombie outbreak or a war or anything, Adam, uh, that's a. First place I'm going is to do a tech store. Place to hang. And I yeah. think this summer we put the uh, demo dorm room back in that shows off yes. all the technology in the dorm rooms. So one that's thing, kind of fun, too. One thing, though, that they that they won't tell you is that the uh, the, the fake dorm bed, it's it's actually a fake bed. It's made of cardboard. So just <laughs> no, from experience, <laughs> do not try no to lay diving. on it or you may fall through. Well, once upon a time it was a real bed, but we kind of cut it down a little bit so if it went in the space. And uh, it's not quite as solid as it once no, was. No, will not support... Someone of, uh, say, my stature and height. Yeah. <laughs> Any reasonable size person, it will not support. <laughs> Excellent. So, what else we got, Sandy? Uh, Apple will reportedly introduce new MacBook Air notebooks in June or July. Ooh, more Apple. <laughs> more Apple. Um, and actually, they're hoping that they start shipping in June or July. The announcement should come later on this month. Mm. Not a lot of changes coming, but... But they have Thunderbolt. Yeah, I was going to yes, say, this is the do. new one with the yep. Thunderbolt, which yes. is, is <laughs> such a cooler name than it is a better name. USB or, you know, serial. I mean, Thunderbolt, you know, I, dang, I wish I'd thought of that, you know? What do you guys think? You think that's a, is that a cool name? Or can sounds, you think of any cooler I, names for that? I want Thunderbolt. Yeah. It does sound like something you want to keep away from sensitive electronics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like maybe maybe Firehammer. That would also be a cool name. Fire. Well, they also yeah. run they run Sandy Bridge, so they are twice as fast as the first ones that came ah. out. So they'll continue to be fast. I didn't know you made a bridge. <laughs> I did. Well, that's great. Right into the Apple Airbook. Wow. <laughs> Do you know anybody who's got an Airbook? A, a MacBook Air. Sorry. Or, yeah, Airbook Mac Mac I, Mac Airbook book. I would book. like to order a MacBook Air. Yeah. But I don't know if I should wait or if I should order it now. Hmm. That would be a good question for someone who works in the tech store like, I don't know, Adam. Well, you know, funny enough, Sandy had and I had this conversation uh, yesterday, was it? Yes. And, I, you know, I heard speculation today that they were going to come out with new ones. But the other problem is, is that Sandy has to use a certain amount of funding before a certain date. So that, that can kind of complicate things a little bit. Ah. But, but you know, I, I, so I'm skirting the issue and I'm saying that I, I would wait another week or two and see if they're going to come out. I see. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm 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 still waiting for the new iPhone because they first they said uh, June, then they then they push it back to August, and my heart was broken. I don't I don't know. I don't even know anymore. And now September. And what? No. Seriously? No. Uh, <laughs> Quit it. Yeah. Stop it. Oh my gosh! I'm never gonna. I'm just gonna have this old iPod for life. It's, it's gonna be yeah. Did All you right. have also have another Apple story? Uh, let me see. Do I have another Apple story? Yes, I do actually. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of this as an Apple story per se, but um, so you know how uh, one of the taglines of uh, the Apple operating system or, or the Buy a Mac 
PR campaign is that, hey, Macs don't get viruses, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, all of us in the IT field know that that's not exactly true, but to a point it is. Most of the viruses that are out there are for Windows. So most people on a Mac can surf around, you know, unprotected, and uh, they won't have any issues. But not anymore. Uh -oh. Not anymore, because uh -oh. recently... Uh, very recently, in fact, uh, in the past week or so, we've seen a huge outbreak of a new virus, specifically for Mac. It's a Trojan, called Mac Defender, and it's not a, it's not exactly a, 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 a very smart virus in terms of like how you know the virus is written or anything, but it is definitely a fake antivirus written for Mac. So if you if anybody out there has anything that's popping up saying you know, hey, uh, Mac Defender, you know, defend your Mac, just cancel it or try to uninstall it or, or bring it into the Do It Help Desk. We can get rid of it for you. Um, it's actually a pretty quick removal uh, for this thing. But this 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 marks one of the first times that I've seen a big outbreak of, uh, of a Mac virus. And even Apple, like sources from inside of Apple, especially Apple's tech support, are saying, um, at least what I've been reading is that Mac has been trying to, uh, Apple has been trying to, um, kind of not <laughs> kind of downplay the existence of this you know uh, apparently from their internal sources it's like you know don't try to remove the malware don't acknowledge or not acknowledge that it is installed on the system that's bad because you know it, it's totally true that there are actually viruses that exist for the mac operating that's system. true that's true so it's not like they're not out there they haven't been out there but uh you know, it, it's it's one of the t few times when it's sort of been really prevalent, and somebody's actually doing something with it. So yeah, yeah, and this it's just interesting to see because I, I you know it's it's one of those fabled things where you know uh, the Mac users have have been going around saying, well, this doesn't get viruses, but you know, it it it, it does it does from time to time. Um, so I guess our final one of the final news stories uh, you guys brought up uh, about Netflix. And uh, the band how how Netflix is now the biggest bandwidth hog during peak evening hours, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. So apparently, this is confirmed. Netflix uh, uh, Netflix use is at uh, during peak evening hours is twenty nine point nine percent of downstream internet traffic, um, only fo followed up right next by BitTorrent at twenty one point six percent. So it looks like uh, like you guys said, people are. Streaming their TV one way or another, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how I watch mine. Hey, yeah, folks. Amazingly, sorry, I have to I have to interrupt this fabulous uh. Netflix discussion. We have somebody who called us <gasps> wow. and, and who wants to talk a little bit about um, the availability of the, the virus and, and things that are going on. So Zach is joining us on the phone. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks. So uh, what were your thoughts about the virus outbreak on the land of macOS? Well, I guess I got to say, you know... Really, Apple should be looking at this as kind of a congratulations. I mean, you know what it is that uh, they're looking for before uh, malware writers start doing this sort of thing is they're looking for market share. Right. So you're so. saying that Apple is popular enough that it's worth going after them as a target. Well, I mean, so a lot of these articles that I heard you guys talking about a few minutes ago, like uh, there are like underground uh, websites, you know, all over the world that uh, specifically are looking into this sort of thing. As always, time is money. And a lot of them have been talking about is that when Apple hits 10% of the market, you know, that's when they were going to say, okay, it's now viable for us to start, you know, packaging an installer file for Mac malware. So, yeah, this is, this is 
technically, you know, a, a win for Apple, but it'll be a <laughs> well. That hey, of, that, that kind of a win. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you, Zach. And a, a lot of people are saying, like, uh, you know, well, why, why, you know, no Mac viruses? What is, what is so, what is so. Uh, non-prevalent about that it, it, it's really because uh like like zach said they they just really don't have the 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 market share you know as of uh uh the same as the same as windows does it's it's really more like uh most of the world is is on windows so if you're going to make a virus and you want it to hit the most amount of machines you're probably going to make it for windows you're not going to make it for linux you're not going to make it for for mac because most of the world is is running windows most of the you know uh, machines that are sold are windows uh we kind of live in a bubble here in the university because we see a lot of mac uh stuff going around uh, we do with the educational focus yeah, yeah because a, a lot of the yeah a lot of the mac stuff that we see is is at more education um you know mac is i would say pretty prevalent uh amongst younger people um so when they're thinking about buying uh, a machine they're you know they're going to look towards possibly getting a mac but out in the business world um it's almost it's almost like those old you know apple commercials with john hodgman where they were like uh uh, you know the business. Oh, the, he's yeah. the businessman, the boring businessman, and and Apple's the cool hipster guy. I don't know. <laughs> you right, know? right. But it's it's almost true. A lot of the more you know, business minded people really do Windows pretty much exclusively. Can you guys can you guys talk to that? Is that what you kind of see down in networking or just in in life in general? It's, it's different in networking. Uh, if you uh, look at network engineers, they uh, are using Macs a lot. They also yeah. were using uh, other Unix like environments before. And the Mac sort of brought uh, the Unix and, uh, you know, GUI world together. So I noticed like at IETF meetings where they uh, do standards work, um, in the last five years, it has really flipped from, um, you know, a little bit of Windows and a bunch of Unix machines to, I would say, 60 to 70% Macs. Wow. Because you you can still do your Unix stuff, do your programming. I see. And yet you have the uh, ability to run Excel to keep your uh, boss happy and do things like that. (laughs) Make make pie charts and stuff. You could get under the hood on the Windows machine, and I think that that was a lot of the draw for the the geekier people of the world is that they could actually get into coding. But now Macs run Windows too, so... You have the best of both worlds. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so people are running VMs and doing all sorts of fun stuff. I do think uh, when we interact with uh, vendors and businesses, you know, when we we are looking at hardware and going to conferences, it seems like a lot of them are using uh, PCs. They sort of have this expectation that that's what you're going to be using, too, so you show up with a Mac, and they're not necessarily always ready for it. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, one... There's one final... uh, Yeah, there's one final news story that I wanted to talk about. Actually, I've got... Two, but you know we'll see. We'll see what time. I've got one too. What Ooh. time allows? <laughs> oh, you do. Okay, we're full well, of news today. This this is kind of big because um, as Adam as Adam well knows, and as anybody who's, who's uh, bought a new Mac at the tech store, speaking of buying Macs and stuff, uh, knows Apple gives out some pretty good educational deals. You know, at the beginning of the year. So if you buy a Mac, you get a free iPod or something like that. Um, well, uh, Microsoft just came out. It was either today or or late yesterday. Uh, with a brand new deal that um, uh, insider sources has confirmed that the tech store may be doing this uh, uh, in... Maybe. Maybe. Maybe doing this in back to school. We've only done this every last few years, you know, for like the last three, four years. Yeah, it's it's insider. It's kind of scoop. We don't know who told us this. But anyway, the, the deal is if you buy a 
machine running Windows 7 that is that that is uh, seven hundred dollars or more, you will get a free Xbox 360. What? Oh no, that's not the deal I was thinking of. Whoa, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is new. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If you buy a Windows machine, seven hundred dollars or more, and you are a student, you have a .edu email address, and you, you know you're in school, you get a free Xbox 360. Wow. And people who want to check out this deal to make sure I'm not I'm not fibbing or anything, it's uh, Microsoft.com forward slash free Xbox. Oh. It's yeah. official now. Yeah. Well, I, I I have heard something pertaining to this, but uh, I can't comment officially. But since it's Microsoft has made it official, it's it's very possible that might be coming to the tech store in the near future. Yeah. And you can, and if you buy buy your machines online, you don't have to be in a store to get this too. If you buy your machines online through Dell.com or HP.com or something like that, uh, uh, they, they'll they'll honor the deal as well. So Microsoft will send you a free Xbox if you don't already have an Xbox 360. Yeah. And what you should do though, if you're interested in buying a computer, be it Apple, be it Dell, be it something else, you should come on down to the Do It Tech Store, 1210 West Dayton Street, uh, or our satellite location out at HSLC at 750 Highland Ave, and talk to one of our expert consultants because we have lots of people there who know how to figure out what you need in a computer and how to find the absolute right model for you so that you don't feel like you're getting taken for a ride. And so they have a computer that will actually meet your needs and get you where you need to go. So we highly encourage you to do that. And if you don't buy it from us, you don't. But at least you got some advice. And, we, <laughs> and that's what we're here to give you. We got a chat. It asked if, uh, if if you buy it, a Windows 7 machine on Newegg.com, if you put it together, will, <laughs> will, will they honor that deal? I don't think so. I, I think it has to be through a... Uh, an actual OEM, uh, you know, like Dell or, or HP or something like that. Yeah, folks, you should uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Go to our website at www.doit.wist.edu forward slash radio, and you can find a whole bunch of different ways to get in contact with us. You can call us right now on the phone like Zach just did at 608-515-8768. That's 608-515-8768. Or you can email us at radio at doit.wist.edu. That's radio at doit, Division of Information Technology, dot W-I-S-C, Wisconsin, dot E-D-U, edutainment. That's what we're here to do. Woo. Sandy, you had one more. No, no, you, no, no. She's good to go. There's, I, I, if, if there's, if there's time, I've got one more. Oh, this Ty's is, got one is, more story. This All is right. kind of cool. Okay, so, um, there was a, I can't remember where exactly this was, but there was an anti-piracy uh, bill. And if you guys know any more details on this, go ahead and chime in. But there, there's, there's been talk on this anti-piracy bill, which goes as far uh, as to basically mandate to search engines, to search engine providers, Yahoo, Google, etc., that they have to filter out uh, entries that from illegal torrents. So, like, say, uh, if Google was indexing stuff from, like, the Pirate Bay and it had illegal torrents on it, uh, then then they'd have to index that. They, they, they wouldn't be able to display that on the Google page. It would be illegal to do so. So Yahoo would have to do that and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of people are saying, are, you know, this is a big outcry of like freedom of speech on the internet. Um, if they can, if they can uh, uh, filter out pirate, you know, pirate materials, what can they? What else would they filter out? What what else would they pa uh, pass laws to filter out right now? And uh, there's just a, uh, there was just a, a release from the uh, executive chairman Eric Schmidt of Google that uh, says that Google will vow to fight the anti-piracy bill even if it's passed so even if it's passed they basically will say that you know, they, they won't agree to it because they feel it's such a invasion of um freedom of speech on the internet so 
I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. They, they sort of uh, had that problem in China when they were there. Yeah. And ended up leaving the country because of that. And uh, now we're seeing that sort of legislation coming up here. And, mm-hmm. and now we're also seeing that there's some legislation going up against Baidu, which is the big Chinese internet search engine uh, that's coming from here in the U.S. And there are people who are suing them. I read that this morning. Hmm. So uh, for various internet things. But Sandy points out that we, we have to read our lovely disclaimers over here. So Sandy, Because we've been claiming a lot of things, <laughs> which we now have to disclaim. Yeah, so let's go ahead and have her do We that. have three. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Products and services provided by the Division of Information Technology, also known as DOIT, and other university departments, as well as drawings give- and giveaways, may only be available to students, faculty, staff, or those currently affiliated with the UW-Madison. Participants of this broadcast may offer opinions or recommendations. However, they do not endorse, nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. Woo-hoo. Long sentences. <laughs> I know. Speaking of that, Apple, I'm still waiting for my Apple-branded boxers, so you can go ahead and send that to do it live, P.O. Box. Uh, uh, well, I'll send you the address later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we actually got Apple-branded uh, boxers. <laughs> I, I don't know that they would let their brand go for that. They're very really. Strange. They'd have to come What if out it looked kind design. of like a turtleneck, a little bit? Just so you know, if they had a little print, a little print on it. I suppose Black. they have done shirts and T-shirts and stuff in the past. So <laughs> Apple boxers. It may, I could only imagine having a guy like. The Apple Boxer commercial having a guy dancing to any music. and it, uh, Anyway, we've gone too far with this. We're going to take a little break here, uh, and we will be right back talking more with our wonderful networking guests here about the Internet and, uh, and how undersea cabling attracts sharks. And we'll be right back with more Do It Live. Oh, 
り続ける Lock Lock Yeah 目の前が白く光ってる徐々に扉が開いてく誰も寝る止められやしない振り返ったらもうしまいってさ Streaming online at WSUM.org. Right now, you're listening to Do It Live. The most connected radio show on the planet. We're here to talk about technology, talk about all the latest tech stuff, and networking. Networking! (laughs) How you gentlemen doing here? We've got Dan, we've got Paul, we've got Bill in studio with us. They're all networking experts and geniuses. And let's talk a little bit about the internet, gentlemen, because... A lot of people use it. A lot of people use it every day. But what is this internet it's a, that you speak of? Yeah. So let's break it down. Internet means it's an interconnected bunch of networks, right? Right? It is. Yeah. And now you're wondering whose networks are they? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I am actually wondering that. Everyone's networks. I mean, there there are, are uh, educational networks, research networks, uh, commercial networks, your network in your home. All of these constitute some kind of network that's using internet protocol. And they're tied together in various ways. Otherwise, they're a little less entertaining to use. Yeah, because the idea is that all of them talk to each other and can access each other, and then you can fly all this information back and forth. So how is that possible? (laughs) Yeah. How is that possible? It's magic, right? Uh, There is a little magic in there. But uh, basically, the uh, Internet uh, is currently using primarily uh, address space, IPv4 address space, that's been carved up and doled out to entities all over the planet. And when you get a piece of this address space, you can further carve it up if you wish. It's usually a good idea, like we do on this campus. We have several pieces of the uh, uh, of slices of internet uh, addressing. And your, uh, your PCs or whatever the equipment you're using knows how to talk internet uh, protocol, IP protocol, 
and uh, attempts to reach other machines with the help of DNS and some other right. tricks. Right. And um, then there are routers that uh, your devices know to go to when they can't talk to a machine locally. So if you can't talk to a machine locally, you just talk to uh, whatever has been designated your default router, typically. You're sort of going up the chain to yeah. get your, super, your network right. supervisor, and then if that doesn't work, right. you go up a little bit more. Yeah, and that router might not be the uh, uh, anywhere near where you're trying to go to, so it hands it off to the next one and the next one. And it's kind of interesting because it, it's a little hierarchical in terms of your connectivity locally. But as you move up the chain further and further, you get closer and closer to what are sort of uh, termed backbone uh, networks. And those networks really uh, aren't limited to just going like, well, I don't know where it is, I'll just hand it up the line. Those networks are connected in, in ways that they're connected to other very large networks around the country or around the world. And part of the advantage of that is it provides a lot of different routes to get the information around. So if something is blocked or some particular area of the internet has lost connectivity, this backbone sort of has ways to route around that. Right. So you take like the networks that we use in this state, leaving this state, they, we have several connections to big providers, uh, not just RE networks, but also commercial providers like Level 3, and, and we connect to um, rather big uh, sources of traffic like Google, we directly peer with them. And we have many different connections. And the, the more you go around the world, the more you see big networks have multiple connections all over the place. So as you mentioned, if something breaks, if a transport breaks, a router goes down or something, they, these routes have been advertised to each other, you know, to all these routers across the backbone. And they just say, well, that destination doesn't seem to be reachable anymore. I'll just send it this other way. And magically, your packets get there. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's... it's uh uh, you know, a lot of people that don't really understand kind of the how the how the internet backbone works. I think they kind of think of the internet as sort of like your water or your power. You know, it's just like it's a, it's a it's a utility. <laughs> you know, like my internet is down, so that must mean the entire internet is down. No one can get to the internet, but it's just like a it's a series of tiny little networks interconnected with each other. And I think it would be interesting if we go through maybe a little bit of just for the people who aren't exactly super familiar with uh, how this whole thing came to be, maybe just a little bit of a abbreviated history of uh, how the internet, how this sort of thing came to be, including I'm just going to kind of prod us here, you know, because uh, to to talk about the DNS system maybe a little bit, because you know that's a that's a that's a little uh, note of pride for for Wisconsin here, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe we should start off with a little discussion about way back when this thing called ARPANET was the predecessor to the internet, which was something that was a defense project by the U.S. government, and they in the, is it in the '60s, gentlemen, started yes. doing this mm-hmm. and had a few computers that were networked together, and they did it using numerical addresses because well, we're computer people, we like numbers, right? Yep. Right. And DNS is sort of the translation to human interaction with the internet where you have a google.com or a wisc.edu. And can you tell us a little bit about what Domain Name Services does to help with that? Well, a Domain Name Service uh, lets you use uh, www.google.com to look up uh, you know, their website rather than 24.17.100.5 or a number like that. Which, uh, you know, <laughs> IT people love remembering those phone numbers. Uh, it's probably easier for us to remember that than somebody's name. Until uh, they get older. But for the average person, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it uh, it's much easier to remember a name. Uh, so DNS, when you type that into your web browser, uh, the DNS system uh, goes to your local DNS uh, server, uh, translates that information to the IP address so your packets can get to Google. And if it doesn't know that, if it's not, if it hasn't cached that information because it recently looked it up for somebody else, then it goes up the line uh, to a uh, more authoritative DNS server to figure out what that IP address is that you're so trying to talk to. So it would kind of be like uh, the analogy that I like to use, and maybe this is way off the map, but you guys can tell me, is kind of like a, a small town postal service. Like if you had a, uh, a request for someone, you, you sent in a letter, you gave it to your postman, and it's like going to Timbuktu, you know, somewhere. And he's like, well, I, I don't know how to get to Timbuktu. I just know Main Street and Elm Street. Let me go talk to the boss. And then he gives it to the boss. And boss is like, well, I'm also an old man mail carrier, and I don't know this. So let me send it up the chain to uh, one of the bigger post offices in the big city. Right. right. That's, that's kind of like what. And then the city doesn't know, and so it sends it to the main country post office. You know, where that's true. There's other old men that don't know where things are, I guess. <laughs> there's old men everywhere. In my yeah, analogy. Yeah. There's some sitting in this room. I don't know. <laughs> oh, snap. So it's really just a, it really is literally a name service. It's like, if I could just use the name of your location or your machine or something, instead of memorizing this IP address, my life would be so much easier. And, you know, the, the original uh, name uh, association was done just in a local host table. So literally... You know, you would say, "Oh, I just have a file on my on my machine that has, you know, basically the the IP address and the name of the host that goes with it." Of all the computers that are that you want to ever connect to, right? And, ever, right? And, and, the, right. and <laughs> the entire list of you know desirable or maybe undesirable destinations used to be downloaded and, and as a host file, and you would just periodically go get a new one. Well, you could see where maybe that wouldn't scale. Yeah, because there's <laughs> so at some point in time, hundreds and hundreds and billions of you know different combinations that you, you can have. You have to understand right? that right. the guys that did this, they were trying to get uh, you know at the most they were imagining like you know hundreds of machines talking together. Sure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, machines got smaller and they got more prevalent, and and it was still a sort of in a research environment. But even that got kind of big. So they said oh, we got to have something different. So then they came up with this DNS system, which is more hierarchical. That says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll keep track of my local machines. I have a, I'll actually have a machine, have this name service, and then we'll just go to that. And if it's not his address space to worry about, then it'll hand it off to the next guy. And what it's amazing is that there are millions, literally millions of addresses that are kept track of uh, all rather kind of autonomously. And we, this campus only keeps track of ad address uh, name resolution for this campus. Hmm. And when we don't have what we want, we just pump it up the line and hope that we can figure it out some other from some other uh, DNS. Old man mail carrier. Send it to an old man. Send it to another old man. Well, but what Ty was sort of alluding to is that we are one of the sort of primary big post offices, if you like, in terms of DNS, because it was uh, partially developed here at UW-Madison in the computer science department. Right, by Professor Landweber. And yeah. they still have a big part in running that and, and helping keep the internet running smoothly, generally. Well, at least a part in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to thank, you know, if you if you need to, like, resolve something on the Internet, like if you want to go to Wismail that was said to you, you know, and you don't want to type in 24.5.8.207, you know, I don't know if that's the right. You, you, you guys that's are probably right. laughing. You're like, yeah. no, that's not the address. What are you talking about? 128.104. No. You know, yeah, it's like, right. you, you know, uh, then, then thank Bucky Badger because there you go. <laughs>
<laughs> he's he and and also CS Bucky Badger. CS Bucky Badger, and he's also responsible to, for everything on the internet. So that's right. They're one twenty one oh five slash sixteen. See, they they know it. And I knew these guys were networking guys. That was just a test. <laughs> so, and we're we're talking kind of nebulously here. Let's maybe get a little bit more concrete because part of the deal with the internet is if you want to get it to everywhere, you actually physically have to get wires or cables or something to actually pipe that internet to your computer. And Dan's been working on a project here in the Madison area, which is called Muffin, right? Uh, I've been I'm, I'm somewhat associated with Muffin Paul actually. Oh, Paul's a big Muffin man. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and 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 that's with fiber optics, and uh, we'll talk a little bit in, uh, why fiber optics are cool in a minute. But can you tell us what the Muffin Project is all about a little bit? The right. delicious Muffin Project. Mm. It is delicious. <laughs> uh, the Muffin Project uh, is a uh, consortium that was put together by uh, UW Madison with the City of Madison, City of Middleton, Dane County uh, health providers here in the Madison area. Uh, and, and other groups uh, to build out a fiber optic network to about 90 locations. And it's part of the uh, federal stimulus project that was started by the Obama administration. Um, and um, we are putting fiber uh, in the ground, underground, and we're doing it uh, mostly, uh, you know, we're really uh, working closely with the city of Madison. Uh, and so you're looking, is this within the Dane County area that this covers, or it's really within the Madison metropolitan? It's really uh, pretty tightly within the Madison area. In fact, mostly uh, inside the Beltline. Okay. And you're looking to get better internet connections to schools and yes. to what other kinds of folks? Yeah, what else could you use that? F I mean, what what, do you, what exactly are you using the fiber for directly? Uh, it's, it's um, well, the UW's interest was sort of to uh, connect UW departments that are located off campus for whatever reason, because there's not space. A lot of times they end up with a DSL connection, which isn't very fast, or paying uh, paying higher prices to commercial uh, sure. uh, internet providers. And, and fiber is extremely fast, and I'll, uh, I know that we have something that we might be replacing, which is there's a laser link that we have for a particular piece of our internet to one of our partners uh, right. who's not on campus. Right. And I hear that that doesn't do well when it's rainy outside or when yeah. it's precipitating. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that we're looking to replace with this project. Exactly. The laser link. Uh, we actually know what the weather is like in our basement because we monitor the laser receive level. Yeah. And uh, when it clouds up, fogs up, starts snowing, we see the laser receive level drop wow. between uh, those two buildings. And that's our uh, weather forecast. Yeah, some people where we probably yeah, look out the window or something. Yeah, we should mention that you guys work in a cave, don't you? <laughs> we do. Yes. Well, they're, they're networking guys. Wasn't that assumed? I mean, from the get-go. I mean, it's really <laughs> called the cave, isn't it? It is. Yeah. A lot so of us do it like to there. be very nice and dark. And you know, <laughs> natural light. No, my skin, it burns. <laughs> but... You know, so the internet is definitely not a series of tubes. It's a series of lasers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of actually is. So let's talk about fiber optics and why it's so much more efficient to lay a little piece of fiber optics than it might be to lay your traditional copper cable that you have. Um, and part of it has to do with, so fiber optics, for folks who don't know, a fiber optic cable is basically a piece of very specialized glass that has been drawn out and has inside of it essentially a mirrorish surface that bounces light from one end of the cable through to the other. And the really cool thing about this is you can bounce it at different angles. And you guys were saying you can now use different colors of light through fiber optics. That's right. Yep. So one, one cable you might be shoving as many as 20 different signals through that one cable, you were telling me? Yeah, originally uh, they you know moved to fiber optic cable because 
you could get a little better reach and uh, run uh, uh, more bits through it. Basically, it has better bandwidth than some other options, at least in terms of cost performance. And so uh, that works pretty well. I mean, we've been using uh, different kinds of glass. Uh, these, there's, I guess we started out most, mostly with multi-mode fiber, and now they have a single-mode fiber, which just means that when you think about this glass strand, it has a, a sort of a, there's a core of glass that has a different refractive index than the cladding. And what's interesting is that the, the core is only about nine microns. It's very small. Wow. That's, that's yeah. nine millionths yeah. of an inch. Nine millionths of an inch, yeah. Very small. And so you're, the, the data we're talking about moving is moving on that tiny uh, little core. Jeez. And so over the years, we thought we were doing pretty good as we move things at, you know, tens of megabits and, you know, hundreds of megabits. Like FDDI was 100 megabit. We thought, ooh, we can do 100 megabits. Yeah. And um, uh, then we moved a little bit up the chain uh, to like, uh, we didn't do too many, um, uh, too much OC3 here, but we did some OC3. Well, actually we did quite a bit of OC3 and a little bit of OC12. So these are moving up to like the 155, 622 megabits. And yeah, then- and Now we're at 10 gigabits. So yeah, 10,000 so, megabits. Yeah, and our, our kind of throw around uh, speed is one gig. Mm -hmm. So we probably won't even, I mean, we don't even think about doing anything on the backbone if it's a, less than a gig right the gig is sort of like yeah and, and let's put this in perspective for our listeners uh your typical internet connection if you have a dsl connection is maybe one and a half two megabits and you're lucky if you get i mean oh if no you you get, get that, that. You well get that. you have to pay extra for it yeah no. i mean for the now, that's for the basic but if you move up the chain for like a charter connection right. they will tell you that you get six megabits or 10 megabits and right. we, we can argue about whether or not you get that too yeah. right <laughs> but, when, but moving from doxis 2 to doxis 3 you have the capability to move you know towards you know much faster rate so 10 20 i think that they right. have a premium service uh, but, that's like yeah, in the 90 the, range or something every time we don't get it here but so I'm, 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 I'm interested. Every time that you do those speed upgrades, do you have to put down new cabling? I mean, is it, is it something in the cabling that does that speed, or what is it exactly? It's usually on the end equipment and, and how you modulate it. So okay. the way they've been able to move forward, like in, in the coaxial industry, is to uh, improve the modulation scheme. And similarly, we do the same thing in the fiber uh, arena. We, we have uh, laser transmitters and, and photo avalanche diodes that that can just go faster. They can put more bits on the on the glass. I have no idea what that is, but photo avalanche sounds like just another, sounds so cool. Language. Who wouldn't want that? But it's kind of like you taking a flashlight and blinking it really fast. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And as you move um, up the speed, you start running into a lot of interesting uh, anomalies that are you know basically physics driven. <clears throat> and so anyway, once you get about to 10 gig, uh, like we said, we did one gig stuff. We do one gig stuff all over the place. It's easy by our measure now. And when we do the 10 gig links, we have to be a little more careful because, you know, when we connect fiber connectors together, if, we, if they don't snap together right or there's dirt or something on it, you, you know, you get a little back reflection. Well, it doesn't make too much difference when you're only doing a, a gigabit of uh, data. When you're doing 10 gig, those uh, light uh, reflections coming back start mixing together and messing up your bits, basically. So you can actually run into a lot of trouble with uh, getting bit errors and, and you know causing your link to be unstable. Huh. So that's a, a consideration. So you just have to be really careful of the faster you go. Then the other thing that has happened, especially not so much on campus where we can more readily pull fiber around or even in metropolitan area, 
But as you get out in the regional networks and we're moving across the country, you can't just pull, you know, miles and miles and miles of fiber. And why is that exactly? Well, it gets, it gets expensive. You have to, there's right away considerations, you know. But, you know, total cereal is only like three and a half dollars <laughs> and you get like 100% of your daily fiber. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that is true. I was waiting the whole show for yeah. that yeah. one show. Right. So what do you do for like that last mile? I know when they electrified the country, they had issues with the last mile. So what, what do farmers, how do they get their Internet at this point? Well, you know, I mean, they're still tough small towns. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. It, but that, that actually, that last mile is what the Muffin Project is doing in the metropolitan area around here. So that's solving that part of the problem. Anybody that gets on the Muffin system here solves that local loop issue. Right. Um, they still have to then get somewhere else, um, which is the other use for fiber, is for going long distances. So in addition to the metropolitan fiber, we have long-haul fiber, too. And is, I mean, isn't it true that the signal can only get so far before you have to repeat it? That's correct. And that's actually one of the reasons it became a technology we could work with is the amplifiers, the technology that does the amplification got a lot cheaper. Oh. And so we're, we're able to afford to put in our own amplifiers to get the signal all the way to places like Chicago, Kansas City. Because every few miles or so, you have to have some sort of... Uh, termination, insertion, uh, right. repeating of the signal. Yeah, the old rule of thumb was about every 60 clicks you, you needed some kind of regeneration. And it could it could be a simple analog regeneration uh, so many times, and then you'd have to actually do a digital reconstruction of the signal. And although Dan mentions it's cheaper, it's not cheap to do that. You know, it's not real cheap to do that. So the way we sort of capitalize on this a little bit is we take uh, and map more than one bitstream on the fiber. And so the way, uh, you know, the, the typical way you do it in, in your local environment is you would just put a, uh, what they just say, a baseband or gray light on the fiber. In other words, you're not really so concerned about the frequency. It's generally running in the 13, 10 nanometer range or something like that, or maybe 1550 if, if you're trying to go a little further, and that's fine. But since it's expensive to move it a long way because you have to do this amplification and regeneration, then they say, well, what if we could put more than one signal on? So instead of having red light, right, or as you were saying, gray light, you can have a green light and a blue light right. and a purple light. Right. And even though it's, it's way more precise than this, it's just like if you hold up a prism, mm -hmm. you take white light and it'll break down into a color spectrum. So we do the same thing with very finely etched uh, wave, array wave gratings that can take uh, something in the 1550 nanometer area and actually break it down into several colors. You can do this in, in a coarse wave mm -hmm. uh, where you have uh, you know, signals that are spaced out or wavelengths that are spaced out like in 20 nanometer steps, or you can do it in dense wave. And so on the long haul stuff, we, the coarse wave stuff is more for uh, shorter haul stuff. And by short, I mean re, you know, maybe metropolitan. Yeah. And then the dense wave stuff is the long haul. And that's what Dan and I tinker with is the longer haul stuff. So we have uh, sophisticated transponders and to map uh, the bits on a modulated with sophisticated mod modulation schemes at all these different wavelengths, yeah. and then we try to figure out why something doesn't work. So do it networking is bringing your internet with all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, and, and red balloons. Right? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit, because uh, the other subject I wanted to get to apart from fiber optics, but it's a piece of it is 
we might be thinking about Madison or Wisconsin or the country, but we got to get to other continents, right? We got to get to Europe. We got to get to Africa. Got to get to Antarctica to get all of this stuff from the Ice Cube project back. It's true. You know, we're just talking before we we're talking about regional networks that you know we have like twenty five hundred miles of network that we take care of locally or regionally, and then that stuff gets terminated into places like Chicago, Kansas City, whatever, yeah. and then from there you do nationwide stuff. That's great. This is working great. We just plow uh, some fiber in the ground, put some colors on it, amplify it with a little Erbium dope fiber amplifier once in a while. <laughs> Life is good, right? Yeah, but the what thing happens it, when you hit the water? Well, yeah, and people might think, oh, you, you bounce it up into satellite. That was I thought that for the longest time. I mean, because how else would you do? You couldn't run a cable all the way across the ocean. That right. just seems silly. It seems like something out of a out of a commercial where you go into a plane and it, you bring an extension cord for your it, house or something. It does seem it seems silly, silly, but it's actually the case. It's it's exactly what happens. There are undersea cables right. for data and voice transmission. When I when I learned that in my networking class, I seriously thought the teacher was just like trolling us. He's like, you know, it's like, and there's a cable that goes all the way across the ocean. I'm like, no, there, come on, no, there isn't. No, there isn't. What are you doing? No. So, so can you guys speak to a little bit about that and what that what's involved with that? whole well, process well believe it or not the first cables that they tried to put across the water they first did you know like across the canal sort of a thing but they actually went transatlantic with copper and they just <laughs> ranked the voltage up and they were just trying to do morse code basically and um they used really sophisticated uh things like you know rubber and you know uh you know paste and stuff and <laughs> the ocean out of it and the stuff didn't last very long stick and a little glue on there that'll get the copper on there uh, so eventually they got better materials like uh you know linear polyethylene stuff like that and then uh but it wasn't until they really moved to fiber optic uh, uh transport that they could start putting mapping a lot of well at the time really calls voice calls were the big thing and uh to get it across the ocean, it's still kind of tricky. You have to have amplifiers periodically, and the ocean is rough, and it's kind of a yeah, tough where environment. Did, where do they put the amplifiers? I mean, is, is They're it, in line. They... They're actually built... Uh, oh. I don't know the original ones. So the, the current ones are, are small enough. They're, they're just little bumps in the cable. I oh, think. okay. Cause, so... Because I, I learned that... Well, another thing I learned, and maybe this is wrong, maybe you guys can correct me, but the, the, the repeaters and the amplifiers or whatever you want to call them for like most of the cabling uh, in America on the on the land are actually um, along the railroad areas. Is that right? Because I, I see those little gray boxes every you know couple miles or so, and people are like, "Oh, there's the internet repeaters." Or yeah, or along the interstate, you see the little right. uh, you know brown huts that are trying to blend in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are you know places where there's some electronics, so the fiber pops up there. But the ones in That's undersea good. are actually in the cabling now. Yeah, well, they're yeah, they have to go somewhere. And I guess so. Little huts under the ocean. <laughs> I guess so. What happens be. when there's an earthquake and you get a break? Well, that happened uh, just uh, well, just in the right. Know, was that uh, was that Japan. 08 or something? I don't know. There was like uh, there was a huge fiber break that that messed up a lot of uh, uh, communication in the in the South Pacific area and down towards Australia and stuff, and uh, you know that's sort of rare. But other things happen, like ships. Uh, clip it with their anchors and stuff like that. And these cables are pretty tough cables. You have to sort of imagine a cable. I haven't seen one, I admit, for a few years, but they're about two inches in diameter, and they only have a few strands of fiber in them. And heavily they're, fortified. Oh, there's, there's like, uh, reinf there's armoring to reinforce steel. There's, you know, all this stuff in there, and they run quite high voltage uh, down uh, some of the copper that's in there just to be able to power the amplifiers and whatnot. But there's just a few strands of glass in there that are doing all the work. Hmm. 
But, you know, if there's a storm or an earthquake or uh, a ship or something that clips it, it's done. But there's actually been cases, and although it's admittedly rare, there actually have been cases where sharks have uh, uh, bit the cable and uh, taken communications down. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, <laughs> some of this has got to be a little bit of rumor, but there's actually some papers written up on, I think it actually occurred down around the Canary Islands where, I think it was AT&T, put some cable in. They probably figured, yeah, what could possibly happen? This stuff is tough. And apparently they were running, uh, you know, I don't know, it's not clear if it was just the electrical charge or a magnetic uh, uh, field around the cable or whatever, but the sharks would come in and they can bite them, bite the cable. And then, of course, once you puncture it, then the seawater gets in and well, bad stuff happens. That sounds like something right out of a James Bond film. Yeah. It's like, yes, my sharks, destroy <laughs> that also cable. Also rumors right that there's sharks with lasers out there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not really sure how much of that is true. Maybe, they, maybe they were know. trying to turn into sharks with lasers. Maybe it's espionage. That's really funny. <laughs> now, and, and we should point out that much like you might have a power outage because a cable might snap or something might go wrong, same thing can happen with your internet and uh, you know it might be a construction crew is digging up the interstate and when has that ever happened that's oh, never happened that's, uh, about once a summer <laughs> that is uh you know we go to meetings every month to talk about where they're going to mess up our our connectivity in the milwaukee area <laughs> hey ed this cable says fragile what does that mean i don't get it it's italian is that french yeah so around here we have I mean, most most of it's planned, but we do have some backhoe fade that's uh, caused by backhoes cutting through the fiber. It makes the light fade, and then the bits don't move anymore. And then people start calling you on the phone, which hopefully are still connected. And yes, <laughs> it usually melts down my uh, SMS. Oh, oh, text messaging. Yeah. So, do you guys? Uh, we wanted to play awesome or lame a little earlier today, but do you, have you guys used an awesome technology, or is there some killer network technology that's that's on the horizon that you guys see that you're waiting for, or maybe anything you've used recently? Well, all of our stuff is pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, come on, we need smoke and mirrors to move bits around. <laughs> yeah, Who gets to do that. You know, we have like OTDRs and uh, spectrum analyzers and crazy stuff. Uh, well, the next transport speed that's coming along is uh, 100 gig. It's actually already, I mean, it's, it made it through the standards body and everything. So, wow. Uh, and we've, we've had the opportunity to play with that a little bit at, you know, uh, with some early hardware releases at, you know, trade shows and stuff like that. So that's kind of fun. So you're saying I could download the entire, the entirety of Firefly in like a second. It is so fast. It's hard to imagine how you'd even forward that much. <laughs> right, <time>. right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, we will probably have that's awesome. that trans, our transport is planned to be. Awesome. <laughs> Our transport in this area is uh, planned to be upgraded to be 100 gig capable uh, in about a year. Yeah, so we get most of our, the university gets most of its internet directly from a link that has down to Chicago. And we also provide internet out to the plain states. And what's something called, well, I was known as the Northern Tier Network. Right. And uh, can you speak just for a couple seconds about what's going on with that? Well, we, uh, we partner with a number of people for our – we have more than just the connection down to Chicago. We've got a ring. And on that ring, we've got uh, Minnesota, Iowa, and uh, University of Minnesota, University of Iowa, and Iowa State. And then that was extended uh, from Minneapolis west and has North Dakota State University and um, University of North Dakota on it too. Oh. So um, – and, and on that network, we're all sort of responsible for getting the internet – getting to the internet on our own. So we share that infrastructure. 
Um, we do have some places where we communicate amongst ourselves, but, you know, you're not really sending that much to North Dakota State University. But if you have researchers who... Yep, and researchers <laughs> is a big part of it. Yeah, so if you have researchers who have a project that's got a lot of data, then that gives you an opportunity to have a, a nice link between the universities. That's correct, and that, that's actually how we started, was Wisconsin researchers needed um, high bandwidth connectivity to Chicago. That's what got the, the ball rolling on this whole thing. Very cool. Well, thanks very much, guys, for uh, coming in. I, I do believe this has probably been the nerdiest Do It Live <laughs> show ever. Pretty much. Um we talked about smoke and lasers and undersea cables and sharks. I can't think of a cooler one we've done so far. So thank you guys so much. We haven't asked if they know the Muffin Man. I do know the Muffin oh, Man. Oh, we know the Muffin Man. All right, confirmed. This is the nerdiest podcast, or not podcast, this is the nerdiest live show. And if you're listening to this recorded, it'll be the nerdiest podcast. Yeah. But speaking of that, you should go sign up for our podcast. Just go to iTunes uh, and search for Do It Live. And uh, and you will find us and sign up for a podcast. If you missed a show, you can listen to it on your way to work, and uh, and be nerdy with us, or on your way home, even if you want. And yeah. use the internet. Yeah, and use and use all those ones and zeros that these guys are pushing along. <laughs> Excellent. Well, gentlemen, uh, we have Dan Parento, Paul Nazario, Bill Jensen. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us here today. We really do appreciate it. It's good to be here. And, thank you. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. And we'd like to thank our management team at the Division of Information Technology, and that's Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover. Brian Kister, Jack Leepak, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Howie Mead, Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Duet's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman. And our Interim CIO and Vice Provost for Information of Technology is Joanne Berg. Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christen, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nathan Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Siriani, and the Nates, Harrison Weber, and Sastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Join us again next week right here on 91.7 FM WSUM. Thursday at 2 p.m. we're going to be talking about SOAR, Student Orientation, Advising, and Registration, the upcoming influx of new students for the year, and all of the technology that's used to get them registered and in class and connected up by email. We'll be talking with experts then. Until then, have a great week. <laughs>